Hello and welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where every week we discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right, the Business of Agriculture. It's not only the name of this podcast, it's where you work, what you do, how you earn a living. This is for the 1% who farm, the 7% who work peripherally in the industry of agriculture. That's like 22 million Americans. And for those that just have an interest in food and the industry of agriculture. In fact, today's podcast is one you're going to want to share. Please Please share this episode with your non-ag friends because today is Earth Day. That's right. I'm recording this on April 22nd, Sunday afternoon, and it's going to be shared this whole week. And I want you to kick it around because I'm talking about Earth Day and agriculture. You know, I can't think of an industry other than heavy manufacturing, maybe like foundries, that get a bigger black eye over environmental stuff. And I think it's mis- appropriate. I think it's misguided. We've got anger and angst from a populace that's so well fed, they sometimes are after us for our degradation of the environment, and we don't get nearly the credit we deserve. So I'm going to give you some talking points and some things that you need to understand, but more importantly, that our consumers need to understand, because you probably get it if you work in this business. So we're talking about Earth Day and agriculture. You ready to get going? Of course you are. First off, let's give some background. Earth Day was begun in 1970. That's right. This is today is our 48th installment of this holiday. Not really a holiday. I'll give you a little background on that. Turns out Earth Day was founded in 1970 by a left-leaning politician in Wisconsin. And he got a couple of other uh, politicians and activists involved in the creation of Earth Day. And the idea was to harness the energy that the baby boom generation had demonstrated with their anti-Vietnam War protests. Okay? And you're saying, Damien, why are you telling me all about this? It's the business of agriculture. I want you to understand how movements work. That's the big takeaway from this, is that Earth Day is a movement. And I'm all for Earth. I own Earth. I live on Earth. Hell, I've never lived on any other planet. <laughs> Doubtful you have either. So, so I find it interesting that right now there there's some news I read. I read up this morning. I spent my Sunday morning just delving into this. Uh, some of these website sort of news sites are saying is Earth Day losing its luster? Is it lost its interest? Are less people concerned about the Earth? So there's a bit of paranoia that we just aren't concerned enough about Earth. I would say. We still live in an environment of environmentalism. You've heard me say that a number of times on this podcast. Well, what we really need to think about is, what was the beginning like? What was it all about? So here's the basics on Earth Day. It was begun in 1970, pushed by a politician and some other activists. And the idea was, there were all these anti-Vietnam War protests going on. So these guys had this idea, what if we captured that same sort of energy? And it was purposefully held or designated on April 22nd because they thought that was the end of college spring term but before final exams began so it would work out perfectly in terms of its timing and its staging that we would get a huge number of young 
energetic collegiate protesters behind us. And I just want you to understand that so you understand it was never about the science. It was never about the data of the degradation of our environment. It was mostly about a movement, kind of like we see for anti-GMO, kind of like we see for um, point source uh, pollution, kind of like we see on any movement, whether it's guns or food or you name it, it becomes a movement about the people. And so I just want you to understand that. What you need to really, really think about is, is that the environmental movement that begun, began with Earth Day 1970 created the EPA. Did you know that? The EPA was really a result of a, a movement and then the Earth Day designation. Rachel Carson wrote a thing called uh, The Silent Spring. It was a, a book that came out in the mid-60s. If you aren't familiar with it, here's the gist. It's uh, an environmental book, and it largely is credited for the end of DDT. So I'll give you kind of that background, too. So the 1960s, folks start getting more environmental. You know, and we were, by, by, by all accounts, we were probably in need of a little correction. We got the Cuyahoga River in Cleveland catching on fire. We got cars getting seven miles per gallon or burning leaded gasoline. We've got some environmental uh, rights to, to uh, wrongs to right, I should say. So I get that. But remember, Ms. Carson's book, Silent Spring, is why we no longer have DDT. And you're saying, DDT? Damien, you're talking about an old chemical. I'm not sure. I'm telling you that DDT may or may not be the greatest thing ever, but you know, it was a good insecticide. It's credited for keeping lice off of our soldiers' heads in the wars. It also made malaria go away when we were going to these third world countries that had uh, you know, swamps and disease. So DDT, it, whether it was right or not, was uh, uh, held accountable for why there was no longer bald eagles. So you've got this symbol of America, the bald eagle. And all of a sudden, DDT is allegedly making the eggs of uh, eagles uh, brittle or soft, and so all of a sudden the hatchlings aren't living, and then all of a sudden you got this symbol, the American symbol, the eagle, and by God, we've got to do something about this. So largely the environmental movement was mostly about symbolism and a, and a feeling. And you hear me talk a lot about this. What are humans motivated by? You think it's about the facts? You think it's about the facts and the data of glyphosate? Or is it about the emotions? It's about the emotion, folks. So they can protest the European Union against glyphosate and say, well, people have cancer. And by God, that means we've got to get rid of glyphosate. It was the same thing in the 1960s. So 1970, along come these guys that start the environmental uh, day, if you will, Earth Day. And then it got on CBS. Walter Cronkite uh, was on this morning. They, they just aired it that he announced and did this news story about Earth Day. So all of a sudden, you've got this movement. And agriculture sort of gets still a lot of blowback from environmentalist causes. And again, is it ever about the data? No, it's about the emotion. I'll give you one other one. Remember the Indian walking through the stream that was polluted with trash on his horse? If you're my age or older, if you remember the 1970s, that was a commercial. This, again, created an emotion because the Indian was crying about what had happened to his homeland. There was trash in the stream. So the environmental movement, I would say, has been more and more about emotion. So I'm going to try and combat that with emotion 
And I'm also going to give you some facts, which, of course, we always say facts have no place in a feelings-based argument. Here's the reality of Earth Day today. It's 48 years later. I think there's going to be protesters that show up at the park, and they're going to carry their signs, and they're going to say that we got to do something more about the Earth. And I'd say, well, all right, what is it you think we're doing wrong? Let's talk about agriculture in that light. There are 915 million acres of farmland agricultural land in the United States. That's 40% of our country. 40% of the United States, 915 million acres, is devoted to agriculture. Of that, about $360 million, uh, million acres, excuse me, are cropland. Okay, so we have 40% of our country devoted to agriculture. You know who controls, who owns, who does the work on those lands? Of course, it's us, the folks in agriculture. So the idea that we don't care about the earth is, of course, misguided. Let's talk about this, this other thing. The EPA was invented because of Earth Day. So then it was the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act. And the EPA has grown into an $8.2 billion juggernaut, $8.2 billion of their budget, 15,400 employees. Think about that, 15,400 people that we pay to regulate us. And agriculture sometimes is on the short end of the stick when it comes to environmental regulation. Remember WOTUS, the waters of the United States? We were going to get really regulated because of the WOTUS movement. Luckily, it got shelved. And that was going to control every little stream, every little tributary, every drainage ditch on land that we own. I pointed out to my agricultural audiences and my speeches that as long as the environmental movement continues to rage, we are going to be in the crosshairs. What's next after the waters of the United States? Is it going to be dust? You can't farm in some areas without creating a little bit of dust. Is it going to be odor? So that way, our suburban neighbors and those that like to regulate us have a one-up on us. Talk about odor and smell. You've heard about cow farts, methane. So we're going to probably have even more regulation. So I'm not really very positive about where this goes. But I want to talk about all the great things that the business of agriculture does. Because we don't get enough credit for it. And that's why you can share this information with your friends. 360 million acres of cropland, 915 million acres of our country, that's 40% devoted to agriculture. You know who owns it? Us. So the idea that agricultural people don't have a vested interest in the earth is ridiculous. To believe that we don't care about our biggest asset is asinine. You know, my farmland in my part of the world sells for five to $10,000 an acre, depending on its location and how much tillable it is. So that's a tremendous amount of investment. So the idea that we don't care about this investment, of course we do. We want to make it better for the long haul. Another thing that the business of agriculture needs to get some credit for is what we've done on the conservation front. Some of it voluntary, some of it through some government incentive. First off, conservation tillage. We are tilling the ground less. We are leaving more residue on the top of the earth. We are doing better things for our earth through conservation tillage, reduced tillage, no tillage. Let's talk about what we're also doing to protect our water. Buffer strips that I have on my property keep my stream, my drainage ditch, free of debris and sedimentation. Now it's a CRP program and I want to make sure that our non-ag friends that you share this with understand. We get picked on in agriculture. Oh, one of those programs where we pay you not to farm? Well, sort of. Let's really clarify what CRP is. 
The Conservation Reserve Program was begun in 1985. That's 33 years ago. And the idea was to take marginal lands out of production. In 1985, we had an issue that we had tremendously low commodity prices. We had way too many crops and too much supply. So we funded conservation. Today, there are 23.5 million acres of Conservation Reserve Program lands. 23.5 million acres are in CRP. And it is not, contrary to what our suburban friends might rib us and say, it is not a program that pays us not to farm. It is actually a lease with the federal government and paid for by the federal taxpayers that we actually have an obligation to. Here's the obligation. I've got 16 acres of conservation reserve land. You know what? I have to adhere to certain practices. Keep my prairie grass free of woody brush. I have to burn it every three years. I have to tear up part of my CRP ground and throw out clover seed for wildlife. I also had to plant trees, which I maintain, and also some of my CRP ground has wetlands for sedimentation and water control. So again, the Conservation Reserve Program has a huge benefit for wildlife and for air and water protection. It is also a federal lease between me, the landowner, and the government. So let's just clarify that. What's it done? It's protected the waters, it's protected the air, and it's benefited wildlife. So that's a good thing. But we've done much of this on our own without the incentive of CRP, and that's what our consumers need to understand. Let's talk about another great thing here on Earth Day, here on 48th Earth Day that our country has celebrated. Let's talk about some other things that we have done as an industry. Genetically engineered food crops versus organic. Now we know the debate rages and you know that I'm pro-modern agriculture. I'm not against organic agriculture. Had a friend on here several episodes ago talking about organic. I say whatever a person can do to make money in the business of agriculture, more power to them. I'm against the marketing that agriculture from the organic side uses because it's fraudulent. Stating that it's a healthier product or that it's better for you is inaccurate. Stating that it's better for the environment is actually scientifically unproven. Organic, if you happen to be a non-egg person and you're listening to this, does not mean without chemicals. It means with a, an approved list of chemicals, okay? And there's another element of organic production. It depends on what crop we're talking about, but in general, it requires more land to get the same amount of output because you're not using the best innovative techniques. You're going to get a little less output per acre. Now, with carrots, it might be one level. And with dairy cows, it might be another. So in general, it's like 20%. But again, it varies by carrots to cattle to tomatoes to kumquats. The main thing here is you're going to use more land. Modern agriculture, conversely, through use of genetic engineering and through use of hybridization and technological advancement has allowed us to get more output per acre, more output per unit of input. So the less fertilizer, the less chemical, the less natural resources you use, the better for the environment. So let's applaud that. Let's applaud what modern agriculture has done. And if you're listening to this as a non-ag person, you're saying, why do I care if there's more bushels of soybeans out of that field? Why do I care if there's more output per acre or more output? You want less units of input. Less input means better for the environment. 
more output means we don't have to go to marginal land. We don't have to tear down trees in the Brazilian rainforest to grow soybeans because now the marginal lands can come out of production or never be put into production because we're getting so much output out of what we already farm. What do you just define real quickly the word sustainable because everybody carries on about sustainable. I wrote an article about this once and you ask a hundred different people to define sustainable, you get a hundred different answers. A lot of people think sustainable means small farm. I'm a suburbanite. I want a sustainable farm. What's that mean? Sustainable means pertaining to a system that maintains its own viability by using techniques that allow for continual reuse. All right. Again, what's that mean? I think that we've been doing agriculture for 230 years in this country, 250 years in this country, and you know what? We're going to do it for another 250 years because of the great things we're doing. Let's talk about GPS, satellite imagery. Let's talk about methods that now put the just the amount of water at the root level through advanced irrigation systems that we didn't have just 20 or 30 years ago. We're using less water, less chemical, less herbicide, less insecticide, less fungicide, because we're putting it right where it needs to be. These are remarkable achievements, ladies and gentlemen. More output and less input and putting it right where it needs to be, that's good for the environment. Happy Earth Day. Thank you, agriculture. Thank you, agricultural companies that have allowed us to do the advancement, the innovation. It's been amazing. Let's talk about some other things that folks think is good for the environment, but maybe isn't. Buy local. Oh, I'm buying local because it's better. Why is it better? Okay, let's just say you want to help the environment by buying local. And you're in Cleveland and you want to buy local bananas. Now, how in the hell do you grow bananas in Cleveland, Ohio? So buying local means that somebody bought banana trees, imported them to Cleveland, put them in a greenhouse, and has a controlled environment where they make the environment seem just like it would be in Ecuador, where the bananas probably originally came from, or Costa Rica. And all of a sudden, we're trying to pretend that that's better for the environment. Of course it's not. It's asinine. Buy local does not mean better for the environment. Buy local means it was local. And it may not even be local because define local. Is local one mile, three miles, 10 miles, 50 miles, same state? I had somebody tell me that once. Well, it's, it's, it's local. It's from Montana. Montana's 900 miles from one side to the other. Good golly. That's local. So let's just think about another thing that humans might say, our consumers. They say, oh, I care about the environment. And I've heard of these big corporate farms. Did you hear me this week? Corporate farms. I had somebody fighting with me online about that. To clarify, again, to our non-ag friends, 97% of United States farms are family-owned operations. 97% of the 2.1 million farms in the United States of America are family-held operations. They may be held as corporations or S-Corps, C-Corps, LLCs, because of liability, because of legal arrangements, because it makes sense. Go to your dry cleaners and ask them if they're a big corporate dry cleaner. No, it's a mom and pop. They have two different dry cleaner facilities. But you know what? They're incorporated because they're a business, just like agriculture is a business. So you'll hear these folks say, I don't like these big corporations. These big corporations because, you know, they're, they're just harming the environment. I want to make sure that you understand, dear non-ag person, that we're doing really good things for the environment. Let's talk about food waste, which is a bigger issue. If you want to concern yourself about Earth Day, 
and you think there's something that we should be doing more of, I would tell you this. Get a handle on food waste. Every article I read says between 25 and 33% of our food produced ends up in the garbage, ends up as waste. You know how inefficient that is? You know how bad for the environment that is? Not only did we spend all that money and effort and fuel and inputs to produce the food, then we trucked it around, got it to you, you maybe even cooked it and prepared it, and then you threw it away. Or it spoiled right before you ate it, when it was at the grocery store. So if you want to be an Earth Day advocate, I will appreciate that. I will, I will applaud that, because we all live here on Earth. But food waste probably is a bigger concern than how we grow your food. Because we're already doing things as efficiently as possible. You know the genetically engineered crops have allowed us to use less diesel because we go over the field less times. Use less tillage, which is good because then it opens up the soil less. You know that we also don't drive over the ground as much so we don't compact it, so less of it gets run off when we have a big rain. You know, we also are using less chemistry because GMOs actually allow us to use less insecticide. Aren't those all good for the environment? So if you're a pro-environmentalist, you should be pro-modern agriculture. Now, I understand that the World Wildlife Fund or Wildlife Federation is actually a big advocate for modern agriculture because they know that the opportunity to not tear down the bamboo trees in China or the, uh, the rainforest in Brazil lies in us being able to produce more per acre of cultivated land that we already have. This is my final thought here on Earth Day as it relates to agriculture. When we have folks that don't think that farmers are doing right by the land, it's as simple as this. Here's your rebuttal. Hey, my money is where my mouth is. When I tell you I'm an environmentally conscious person, I am. And you know why? I'm all about the earth. It is my biggest asset. It is my biggest investment. To pretend that I don't care about earth is ridiculous because my asset is held right there in those acres. My asset is earth. You know, I own 260 acres myself, my home farm I just bought and uh, part of, uh, and, and then I have the home place, I mean, the place where I live. And I've planted trees. Have you planted trees, dear suburbanite, who thinks that farmers don't care about the environment? Have you ever looked into putting in cover crops to make this land more beneficial to wildlife while also enhancing the land for the next year and the next generation and the tillability and the erosion prevention? These are the kinds of things I think we need to make sure we're telling our consumers and anybody else that will listen. The things that we are doing, planting trees, buffer strips, cover crops, wind breaks, those are all things that we are doing as owners of this land. So on Earth Day and every day, farmers and agriculturists are out here doing what we can to make the land better. We're putting our money where our mouth is. This is your Earth Day edition Think about that this week, and also give yourself a pat on the back for all the great things you've done for the earth in the business of agriculture. Till next time, I'm Damian Mason. Thanks.